With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. I'm Pam Stack, and you're listening to Authors on the Air. We're proud to be part of the Office on the Air Global Radio Network. Stay tuned for my very special guest host, Bruce Robert Coffin, and his guest. Be right there. Bruce, take it away. Thank you, Pam. Um, I got to tell you, it gives me great pleasure uh, to introduce uh, one of my favorite authors. I don't get to play fanboy that often anymore because I'm busy writing, but... uh, Craig Johnson, we have on the show tonight. He is the New York Times bestselling author of The Longmire Mysteries, the basis for the hit Netflix original series Longmire. And I assume everyone listening has seen that. If you haven't, you should. He is the recipient of the Western Writers of America Spur Award for Fiction, um, the Mountains and Plains Bookseller Award for Fiction, and uh, several others that I can't pronounce without doing damage to them, so I will not. Uh, let's just say he's a uh, highly awarded uh, author and well-deserving uh, awarded author for his mystery series. I met Craig back in 2014 while attending the New England Crime Bake in Massachusetts, uh, and Craig was the guest of honor of that year, and it was coincidentally my first year attending, so I, that was really a treat for me to uh, to get to hear and, and meet Craig. Craig, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the program. Absolutely my pleasure. Good to hear from you again, my friend. Right, it's been a while, huh? Yeah, <laughs> it has. Like, but we're all kind of like rotating in our own little orbits here. Like, every once in a while, we get to intersect. Like, and uh, it's always a joy to hear from you. Thank you. Oh no, my pleasure. This is my pleasure. I, I assume we would be meeting back out of the trail again somewhere uh, at a conference, but uh, this has been one crazy year, I guess, huh? <laughs> it has been. It has been. Like, it's uh, it's a little weird, like that. I mean, you know, the book was uh, it came out like I guess you know I think about a week ago, like that, and uh, I think it was all the way back in May, I believe, or maybe even earlier than that. Viking Penguin came out and said, "Yeah, we're not touring any of our authors until uh, January." And so that was kind of the end of that, like that we kind of knew that we were going to be home. And uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I miss the road. Look, I miss being out, like getting shaking hands with people and signing books and talking with people and all that. But uh, you, you've heard me say it before. My wife says that the reason I enjoy that so much is because we live in a town of 25, and I'm just shocked to see that many people, you know, out in the world, you know. So <laughs> I think I've been living in quarantine excuse. for the last 16 years. I just haven't been aware of it. Like so. <laughs> Good training for this, for sure. It is, it well, is. Speaking of your new book, uh, I, I've got to tell you, I really enjoyed uh, the new one, Next to Last Stand. Thank and, you. Uh, you, uh, you had some news on that, right? I did, I did. We just got uh, notified that uh, that it landed at number five um, on the New York Times bestsellers list uh, this week, which that is, is awesome. you know, very exciting. I get, uh, you know, I mean, with all the problems like that with, you know, trying to get books shipped, you know, and uh and then you know, right. like uh, the the added you know uh, 
distraction of you know not being able to be on tour and all that type of stuff like that. It's a it's a pretty pretty fine showing. We're pretty happy with that. I have to admit. Right. No, that's good. Does it feel? Uh, I mean, I know how it feels to me, but does it feel uh, almost like a like you got ripped off? Like you didn't get a chance to go out and, and do that uh, you know real tour that you do after yeah. it comes out. Yeah, you know? you're right. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. Ripped off. Like I think that's you yeah. know because <laughs> you do. Like I know my wife does. You know to a great extent. Like that because you know uh, you know I, I've got her here at the ranch. And like at, you know in the nearest town is U Cross, Wyoming, population 25. Here in up on the Wyoming Montana border. And it's a beautiful place. Like that. But I think she really enjoys those tours. Like that. I mean they they take very very good care of me. My my publicist Ben Patron. Like that. And the the fine folks at Viking Penguin. They take really good care of me for the tours like that they 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 send us to all these really magnificent bookstores like that and they put us up in these nice hotels and you know you're eating in restaurants and all that and so for a couple of weeks there my wife gets to pretend that she leads another life um and i I think she really kind of enjoys that and and maybe depends on it a little bit more than i do i mean for me you know whenever i heard that i wasn't going to be on tour i was thinking to myself oh good i can tear the floor out of my tax shed in my barn and redo it that week like you know just the glamour kind of sidesteps me a little bit of the time i'm afraid (laughs) yeah no that's definitely true right yeah, the ego boost is the thing I think we miss, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, I mean, you can, I mean, you you know, you and I both like have been to enough events, you know, that uh, you know, you can always tell whenever you're, you're you're witnessing an author who'd really rather be somewhere else. I mean, you right. know, just because you write books, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know you're 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 going to be you know socially adept like that or you're really going to enjoy you know the you know the, being around crowds of people and you know talking about your work and all that type of thing i mean we've all been to those those events where you know it's painful like that because you know authors by nature i think you know are a little bit introverted um but right. you know there's also that part of you like that that likes to kind of break out like that and uh you know and meet those people and see those people i mean that's one of the great joys I think of what it is that we do, you know, that, that, that wonderful interaction that you get to have. I mean, in the modern day, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of periods in time when a lot of authors did not have the opportunities that we've got. I mean, you know, emails every day, social media, you know, all of these things, you know, that, that allow you to, you know, actually have, you know, input, you know, from your readers like that and, uh, and a response like that. And, you know, I mean, my gosh, you know, if you're, if you're not looking for any kind of response and you don't want to hear from your readers, well, you might as well just, you know, do an Emily Dickinson and fill up the walls, you know, with your writing and right. you know, make insulation out of it or something. But, uh, right. but yeah, yeah, we live in a, in a kind of a unique time. Yep. No, that's true. Um, I wanted to say I was fascinated uh, by the historical aspect of Next to Last End. Um, you've got Custer in there, a little Bighorn, uh, an art heist. Um, how much research? <laughs> Did you have to do in writing this one? <laughs> it was a lot. You know you know what that's like. I mean, whenever you're going to, like, step on, you know, a stone that's been, you know, well-trod before, you know, boy, mm-hmm. you know, you better make sure you get your P's and Q's, you know, because, you know, somebody's going to catch you. Somebody's going to come back, like, and, you know, and try and, like, trip you up and find out what it is that you did wrong or the things that you might have, you know, uh, left out that they thought were important or things that you, you know, included that they didn't think – uh, were particularly true like that, and uh, I started doing the research. I mean, well, the, the little bighorn's about ninety miles up the road, you know, from where my ranch mm-hmm. is, and uh, so it's local history, you know, as far as you know we're concerned, like that. But uh, the other thing about it is, is that um, it's it's kind of an epic point in you know Western history. You know, it's kind of huge. 
Um, mm-hmm. And you know, to to try and take it on like that and include it in a book is you know kind of a rabbit hole that you can fall into like that and you know never come back out. You know, I mean, yeah. we're all guilty of like over researching or you know getting too far into a subject. You know, to for the good of the novel. You know, to be honest. And so right. I, I I'd always held you know the little bighorn at kind of like an arm's reach, um, but. I, I stumbled onto that painting, you know, Cassili Adams' uh, Custer's Last Fight, and it started. I, I started doing a little bit of research on that, like that. And it was very interesting to me, like you know. And this was like you know, I said about eight years ago, um, and it was kind of interesting because I was doing the research, starting to do the research for this book um, when the first season of Longmire um, was being produced, and it was oh, wow. a wonderful relationship with the producers of the TV show. And that they were always asking me, well, what are you working on? What are you doing now? You know, what uh, what things have you got in mind for Walt in the future? And, you know, I mentioned, you know, the fact that Cassili Adams' painting, you know, had been destroyed and, you know, what if it wasn't, you know, and all these things. Like, right. well, they included that as a subplot in, I think, the second or third episode of the first season. And so it's been interesting to see how many people have written me and said, did you get the idea for this book from that episode <laughs> of the TV show? And I'm like, no, no, that was the other way around, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, you know, I mean – and I, I kind of tend to do what I refer to as like creek bed, uh, you know, research, um, in the sense that you know I, I don't take a lot of notes, you know, or, or, or copious, you know, uh, um, amounts of notes, you know, on, on the subject matter that I'm working on. Generally, what I do is just, you know, read to the point of distraction, and then when I sit down to write, what I remember, you know, the things that stuck in my memory, or the things that stuck, you know, in that research that, you know. Um, were maybe different or, you know, exciting, um, mm-hmm. things that, you know, maybe I hadn't, you know, heard or seen before. Those are the things that need to be conveyed, you know, to the reader, because if they're of interest to me, then they might be of interest to them. Um, right. So that by the time you're done doing the research, you know, by the time you look into the creek bed and through the water, those shiny bits that are laying on top of the creek bed, that's that's the part that needs to go in there. Right. No, that's great. That's a great way to think about it, actually. Um I got to say, as usual, your characters jump right off the page for me. Uh, even the newly introduced ones. I mean, I love love getting to revisit some of the old characters from the series. Uh-huh. But, um, did you? I wanted to ask you the the waivers uh, from the soldiers and sailors home. Did you base those on uh, real people that you knew or met? Or? Absolutely, absolutely. Like at the, we're we're we're, we're right outside of uh, Buffalo, Wyoming. Like at you know, this little town about. Uh, uh, 5,000 people like that. And it's the basis for Durant um, in the book. Okay. Like, and uh, about maybe five miles outside of it is Fort McKinney, like uh, one of the forts that was built in response to the Indian threat of the Little Bighorn, mm-hmm. which really wasn't much of a threat, but it was a great way to boost the economy of a lot of, uh, of, of, of small communities, you know, here on the high plains. And right. um, they built Fort McKinney up there. Like, and it, uh, it was stayed Fort McKinney, I think, till about the turn of the century, I think about 1903 or so, they handed it over to the state. And Wyoming took it over, and they made it the Wyoming Veterans Home, or at that point in time, the Wyoming Soldier and Sailors Home. And it's a beautiful facility up there. I mean, an absolute, with the parade grounds and some of these old buildings like that, that are, you know, like antique, you know, buildings and vintage and, you know, beautiful facility, all modern and all of this, too. Like that, but uh, right there at the base of the Bighorn Mountains, you know, with Clear Creek running right down through the middle of it. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful spot, you know, for these veterans like that to, 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 you know, to spend the rest of their lives. Like that, it's a nice spot to be in. And, yes, sir, some of them used to roll their wheelchairs out there, you know, to the big sign out by. 
by <laughs> 16, the road that runs right by my ranch. Like at, and uh, they would sit out there and wave at, uh, at, at the traffic. And I, I think for them it was a way of kind of still staying in touch, you know, to still right. kind of be in interaction, you know, with the common populace. Like at, and, you know, me, I, I'm always looking for a story. I'm always, you know, looking for somebody interesting to talk to or somebody that's got a story to tell. Like at, and I knew these guys had stories. There was no doubt in my oh, mind. Yeah. That that yeah. was the case. Like, and so I would stop and you know sit and talk with these guys. Like, I had to sit there, you know, on the tailgate of my truck. Like, and just talk to them for a while. Like, and they were fantastic. Like, they just you know were so full of energy, um, so full of these stories. Like, and excited, you know, to tell you about you know what had happened to them and what you know in their lives. And it was just a, a, a just a, a, an incredible opportunity. The only time I got into trouble was every once in a while. You know, when I first started stopping, they would ask me to, to get them beer. And, uh, and so every once in a while, I would grab a six-pack and drop it off with them. Well, then the people, the administrators, informed me that you know some of those guys were on medication and shouldn't have alcohol, and I could not bring them beer. Like, and so you know, I, I, I stopped bringing them beer, but I would still stop every once in a while and you know drop off a hamburger like that, or you know a bag of chips right. or something to sit and talk with the guys. <laughs> but yeah, they became the waivers. Like that, so. That's awesome. They were corrupting you. Yeah, they were. They're, they're, Absolutely. They're great My characters. innocence. Love I had character. no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, let me take you back to the beginning for a second. Uh, you know, I mean, your your success you've had with this series is phenomenal, um, and I think well-deserved, too. Great characters all the way around, uh, and especially well, Walt. Um, when you were writing Cold Dish, the, the first one in the series, did you ever, in your wildest dreams, imagine that you'd have this kind of success with this series? Or the no. No, not at all. Like I, I, I wrote it as a you know a standalone book, um, and then the you know I mean, I, whenever anybody asks that question, I'm always thinking to myself, well, you know, if, if I was shooting for a demographic, I probably wouldn't have written about the sheriff of the least populated county in the least populated <laughs> state in America. I probably would have shot for something with maybe a little bit more of a connection, you know, to a population right. base like that as a readership like that. But uh, I don't know. In some ways it kind of worked, you know, and I and I, I had some things in mind, you know, that, you know, it, it was, you know, kind of like an anti-technology kind of thing. I It seemed like an mm-hmm. awful lot of the, the, the crime fiction that I was reading um, was very technologically oriented with cell phones and computers and all that mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, uh, I don't know. I, I I'm not against you know technology as a you know as a as a you know an aspect or um, you know a facet you know within you know what it is that we do for a living like that. But I, I, it has a limited interest for me. Whereas you know character and place you know are always going to have a great deal of of attraction for me. Um, right. And so you know I, I thought you know maybe Wyoming. You know I, I look at these sheriffs and I see you know that you know here in Wyoming. I mean we have counties that are as big as maryland you know and so and, and these guys you know they don't have a lot of resource to work with you know both financially and, and as far as their personnel is concerned like that they're stretched kind of thin and they really kind of have to do whatever they have to you know whatever comes up they have to deal with it and most generally there isn't any backup you know generally you're on your own you know when you're out there you know 60 miles down a gravel road you know where there's a domestic disturbance at a ranch or something you know you just mm-hmm. have to respond you know and try and take care of the situation and um, I don't know, it, it, it you know, makes, makes you focus more on character and place. And to me, that's always where the best writing is. You know, that always seems to be the stuff that I respond to. It's, it's funny you say that. We, uh, I've got some other friends that uh, were formerly law enforcement that have written uh, novels. And we talk about that, how 
you know, the, the technology, even though it can be fascinating, almost is like a crutch. I oh, think yeah, the, yeah. The, the old writing, the stuff that we all grew up reading, was really about the human condition and the oh, interaction yeah. of people, you know. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'm okay with reading about, you know, a rifle for, you know, a, a paragraph or two, like a, you know, or, you mm-hmm. know, a, a piece of technology for a paragraph or two, but I'll read about a character for an entire novel, you know, it, you know, people are going to be interesting to me. Like, it's always going to be, it always goes back to that, you know, the old uh, Charles Dickens quote that, you know, any, any, you know, author worth his salt is going to have to be, you know, a student of human nature. Um, right. That's the part that's really going to be interesting. And I, and I laugh about the technology here in Wyoming because I can always tell immediately, you know, when somebody says, why doesn't Walt carry a cell phone? And I can always tell that they've never been to Wyoming. Um, because unless you've got, you know, antennas, until unless you've got towers you know, that provide right. service for those things, they're kind of useless. <laughs> so, right. you know, unless you want to take selfies with pronghorn antelope, they're really not that much use in most of Wyoming. So. <laughs> That's true. That's awesome. Um, Walt, Walt himself, I guess, uh, you'd have to, I'd have to describe him as the quintessential Wild West lawman. Um, how, how much of yourself? did you use or, or have you used in, in constructing his character? Well, I think when you write a person in first person, whenever you're writing a character in first person, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to escape from them too far. Um, mm-hmm. So there's going to be a certain amount of them, that, or maybe more importantly, a certain amount of you that's going to leak, you know, into that character, especially, you know, if it's more than one book. I mean, the cold dish was intended to be a standalone novel. And then Catherine court, at that point in time was the president of Penguin sat me down and said, we really think you should consider, you know, writing some more of these. We think these people in this place and we think they have the stories like that, that people are going to want to hear more of. And, you know, but a certain amount of you is going to leak into those characters after a certain period in time, whether you want it to or not. Um, Mm -hmm. But then, you know, there's also uh, my wife's quote, which is Walt is who Craig would like to be in 10 years. He's just off to an incredibly slow start. (laughs) <laughs> and you know, there's probably more truth to that than I'm willing to admit either. Like that, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there, 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 I, he has some incredible traits that you know I aspire to. He's he's patient, you know. He's he's extraordinarily dogged, you know. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's just the last person that you want after you, like that, because he's the guy that's going to knock on one more door. He's the guy that's going to make one more phone call. He's the guy that's going to do one more drive and take a look at the crime scene just one more time to see if he might have missed something like that. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's also got an incredibly you know, big heart. I think he just, you know, he, he really cares. You know, I think he exemplifies a lot of, you know, what I, I consider to be some of the best parts of, you know, not only of law enforcement, but also just of humanity. I mean, he, he, he really cares about people. Um, they're, they're his people. That was a, a quote that I heard over and over again, you know, when I was doing ride-alongs, you know, with sheriffs here in Wyoming and up in Montana. The thing they would say over and over again was, my people my people. Um, They take it very personally. And, you know, in using a sheriff, you know, it also made a kind of an accessibility uh, factor with the character, too, because I think that there are people who would never walk into a police office in their lives. They would never walk into a police headquarters in their entire lives. But they will march right into a sheriff's office and say, hey, so-and-so is putting up a new fence, and it's on my property, and I voted for you, and so you need to have one of those deals. I mean, they're, they're invested. You know, they, they've actually given you, you know, one of the most treasured things they have, you know, in a democracy, right. their vote. They've given that to you, yeah. and so, you know, they hold you responsible for that, you know, and you need to answer to it, you know. And, and that, that kind of makes Walt, you know, into that uh, that kind of like neighborhood policing like that, you know, where – 
you know, right. hopefully he can stop a lot of the problems before they actually get started. Um, right. But I, I think you know there, there are a lot of qualities he has. But then again, he's also got a lot of tragedies in his life. He's had a lot of sorrows um, in his life that I, I've never you know had to contend with. You know, the fact that um, whenever I was you know contemplating the character, I kind of put him together and thought, okay, you know, I'm going to give him these abilities. You know, he's not going to be perfect. You know. Um, but I'm going to give him a few, you know, abilities like that that'll, you know, give him an advantage in some situations, and and you know, and, and here I had, you know, this guy who was, you know, a Vietnam veteran, a Marine investigator, you know, an offensive lineman for USC. My gosh, he's like six foot five, two hundred fifty-seven pounds, you know, and all this like that. And the first thing I thought was, how can I cripple him? Um, what can I do to him, you know, to to bring him back to 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 earth here? Like that. And I thought, well, what's the one thing I can take away from him? Like that, that'll, you know, be, you know, something he'll never completely get over you know and i thought i'm going to take his wife away i'm going to take his right. wife away like that and uh yep. it's never going to be something he's going to completely be able to recover from and uh right. that that kind of goes back though to like a you know a, you know a, you know a uh, an old statement an old proverb you know that you love people you know for their virtues you know, i mean you like people for their virtues but you love them for their faults um yeah. you know it's the things that are wrong with people the things that are you know not right like a, that 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 make them infinitely more attractive and mm-hmm. any you know kind of strength you know that that character is going to have has to be counterbalanced you know by a weakness um right. that was exemplified in one of the books um as the crow flies you know once walt you know gets his nose down he's like a, a bloodhound you know and he gets to the you know he catches the scent look out because he's often gone like that well imagine living with someone like that imagine like being the daughter of somebody like that or married to somebody like that or the husband of somebody like that. It's always going to be like there's one thing that's more important than you are, always. Right. And, right. and that's a, that makes for a difficult kind of a situation, I think, for a family to kind of have to, to survive. Like that. And Katie, you know, kind of voices that to him. You know, Dad, there was always a case. There was always a case. Right. And, yep. uh, you know, I think that that's kind of the fun thing to try and find those strengths and weaknesses and try and find that, that balance point, that fo- that fulcrum like that that's right there that's going to give you that balance point for those characters. Well, you hit the mark well. As somebody that used to do that kind of a job for almost three decades, I can tell you you hit the mark. It's Thank Sometimes you. the job forces you to put, you know, the family in the back seat. So yeah, yeah. I mean, there's well. no choice. I mean, that's the yeah. thing. Like, and then – you know the the other major component I think is is humor. You know I think you have to you know include humor um, in in, right. in these types of books. I'm always amazed you know whenever um, someone doesn't have humor in their books. I mean it's understandable because if you if you don't have a sense of humor or if you don't write you know don't aren't quite sure how to write with a sense of humor. I can see why it is that you you would avoid it. The other thing is is it's a little bit of a uh, you know a double edged sword like that because humor is a difficult thing in that. You know, it's a personal kind of sensibility. I mean, you know, somebody you're taking a chance when you include humor in your books because not everybody has the same sense of humor, and so you right. might alienate people, or you might, you know, upset people, or you might bore people. They might not think that what you think is funny is funny. Um, but right. for me, the the essential element there was to have it included in the books because it's a defense mechanism, is what it is. It's a way you survive. Exactly. Um, exactly. There's no way. I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you, I think that Walt makes the, you know, the the statement early on in the series, like that, that a, a sense of humor is more important than a bulletproof vest. You know, it'll keep you going a lot longer than the other one will, um, yeah. because I mean, you go home at the end of the day like that, and, you know, and you have to, you know, carry all that stuff with you, and so you better better have a little bit of a sense of humor to to keep you going. Yep, right on, right on. Um, 
I notice one of the things I love about your books is, um, well, some authors that write series tend to seem to take a formulaic approach to what they're writing. And I, I can say, honestly, every one of the Longmire novels have a distinct feel to them. Um, they all seem different. And, and I love that because I can actually pick up a book and know which one it is and that I've read it already, as opposed to <laughs> it seems like all the others, you know. Uh, uh-huh. and I've had that happen with other writers. Um, do you do this intentionally? Or oh, yeah, absolutely. Does the story sort of shape the book as you go? No, I, I think you know when I when I when I'm thinking about one like that, I'm I'm always thinking you know okay where is this book you know in the chronology, um, mm-hmm. where is this book you know uh, with the characters? I mean that's a big thing when I'm thinking about a plot. I'm always thinking okay well, you know how is this going to advance these characters? How is this going to enhance their development in where they are right now in this life, this arc um, that I've given them. Um, you have to take that into consideration. You think about, you know, okay, well, what's, is it a social problem? Is it something that's, you know, relevant? Is it something that's mm-hmm. important, you know, to, to make a commentary on at this point in time? Like that. Um, and then it can also be something as basic as, you know, that, that seasonal aspect of the books. Um, you know, it takes me four books to get through one year of Walt's life. You know, I uh, took some advice from Tony Hillerman, like it, who said, you know, you need to find a, a framework, you know, for your work. Like it, and I thought, well, what's the biggest thing that has – a large scale effect, you know, on us in the West. And I know it's the same in Maine, for goodness sake, like, you know, it's the weather, you know, you, right. you have to be yeah. aware of, you know, of what the weather is going to do like that. And, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I thought, okay, well then fine, I'll do a Vivaldi is what I'll do. Like it. And so I, I pulled the four seasons like it, and have, Walt, mm-hmm. you know, have to go through, you know, the four seasons simply because it does give you in a different environment for each book. You know right. I mean? Wyoming right. in January is nothing like Wyoming in, in July, um, right. And so it gives you a completely different environment for each book. But then again, you know, each season is going to kind of enhance, you know, whatever the storyline happens to be. Um, I mean, this was a book that I had in mind, you know, almost eight years ago. But I had to get all the research done. And then when I finally got it done, it was winter <laughs> in the in the right. world. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I can't do this. You know, nobody's going to go up to the little right. bighorn in the right mine in the winter time, and all these things happening. You know, where they're going all over the right. state. You know, I thought, yeah, I'm going to have to put this one on a hold. Like that. So I just took this book and you know put it up on the shelf. Like that, and just kind of waited until the proper season rolled around. Like that, and then uh, right. and then started off on it again. But to to go back, you know, more specifically to your question. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you, you, you've got to, you, it's got to hold your interest. I mean, you know, Bruce, like, I mean, the most horrifying thing in the world that could ever possibly happen would be if you got started on a book and then, you know, ran out of gas, you know, halfway right. through. I mean, you really yeah. have to make sure that you've got, you know, more gas than you're ever going to possibly need, um, right. you know, to get through this novel like that. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, it's got to stay interesting to you, you know, I mean, if it's going to get boring with you, it's going to get boring to the reader. Like, and so you need to constantly right. be searching and stretching and and maybe taking some chances. I mean, there's always going to be, you know, some readers that are going to write and say, "I didn't like the latest book." You know, and my immediate response to that is, "Don't worry, the next one is completely different." You know, and so you know, right. you right. just kind of have to, you know, keep evolving a little bit and changing a little bit, or else, you know, you know, then if you don't, you fall into that. It's a, what a horrifying artistic, you know. Uh, you know, pit, you know, to fall into where you're just, you know, going through the, the motions and, you know, recycling the same formulaic stuff over and over again. That the, that just sounds like a certain specific hell. little pocket of hell is what that sounds right. like to me. Right. It does, too. Writer hell. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. it is. We've got to be careful, right? 
Oh, yeah. Um, oh, gosh, yes. You know, and, and I think, you know, you have to risk things like that. I mean, do you have to risk a certain amount of your readership or risk a certain amount of your right. success? All those things like that to do that? Yeah, you do. Um, sure. But boy, you know, it's artistic death, you know, to, to ignore it, seems to me. Yeah. That's great advice. Um, I got to ask you, um, probably most writers have ever been in this position and enviable or uh, unenviable, I'm not sure which, but um, fiction writers, we tend to spend most of our days hanging out with our imaginary friends of our own creation. And, right. and I got to know, how, how awesome was it for you to actually see your characters come to life on screen uh, in the Longmire series? You know, you hear these horror stories, I'll get it, and, I, and that's kind of how I approached it. I mean, um, you know, all the way back from Faulkner, you know, forward, you know, that their experiences, you know, with Hollywood, you know, were terrible and they had a horrible time and all of these things right. like that. But uh, I, I was extraordinarily fortunate. I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I was on my eighth book, I think, you know, whenever Warner Brothers got in touch with me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't, you know, I'm trying to think, I think I had just made it on the New York Times bestsellers list at that point, like that, but just barely. And, um, right. you know, I, I was not. Stephen King. I was not John Grisham. You know, I was, I was not Lee Child. Like, you know, so I, right. you know, it wasn't like I could go to Hollywood and dictate, you know, what exactly it was that I wanted and how I wanted it done. But right. it's kind of like any other work, you know. And and the the analogy that I always make is is that it's kind of like a, <coughs> excuse me, it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a ranch, um, you, you or any other line of work, you know, you hire. The very or get in, in partnership with the very best people that you can get, and then you do the hardest mm-hmm. thing in the world. You leave them alone. You let them do what right. they do, for goodness sake. Like, yeah. and don't interfere. And uh, right. and I was very careful. You know, I took a good, strong, hard look at the people that were involved um, with the production of Longmire. Like, it, and they just seemed like the right people to to take this on, like that. And uh, of course, one of the big jobs, you know, that they're going to to do right off the bat was uh, try and cast it. And you know, mm-hmm. some people know, some people don't like that. But uh, one of the aspects of the television show um, before it got picked up was that it was cast contingent, that they would not make the TV show unless all parties agreed, that both you know the, the producing studio, um, the broadcasting network, the producers, everybody would agree on who it was that would play Walt Longmire. And wow. so it was kind of like a difficult process, you know, because, I mean, there there are a couple of ways of looking at it in the sense that, you know, you know, you could get somebody who was a big name and use them as the character, or you could, you know, try and find somebody who was a relative unknown or, like, had not played this type of character before. And mm-hmm. I thought they did a remarkable job, you know, when they came up with Robert Taylor um, to play oh, that role. His, his DNA kind of matches, you know, Walt Longmire very, very well. Um, yeah. And in a number of different ways. I mean, there's a lot of things that, like, you know, he's a big guy, you know, uh, he, he's a, a regular guy. Um, he he kind of hides his light under a bush a little bit. He's a whole heck mm-hmm. of a lot smarter than he lets on, which is very much, right. you know, the way Walt Longmire is. He tends to, you know, be yep. the aw shucks, I'm just an old country sheriff kind of thing, <laughs> you know, just as he closes right. the door and locks it on you. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, you know, Robert had a number of things. I mean, and, and I guess, you know, you know, other than just the physicality and his voice and all those things like that, I remember they were filming one of the first scenes, and uh, he was doing an interrogation of a prisoner like that. And uh, I remember the guest star that it was playing the role of the, you know, the the 
the perp, like that was, you know, using a lot of gestures, a lot of facial gestures, and moving around a lot and all this kind of stuff. And Robert, on the other hand, asked his question and just sat there and looked at him. And after they finished the scene, I walked over to him like that and I said, uh, that was an interesting choice, you know, that you made to not move and not do anything. I said, you know, that's that's an old law enforcement routine. You, you ask your question mm-hmm. and then you don't say anything else. You just sit there and wait. You know, and they'll talk, and they'll tell you probably yep. more than they really mean to tell you like that. But I right. said, you know, I, I'm interested in why it is that you made that choice. And he paused for a second, and he goes, Craig Walt's a hunter. You know, if you're out hunting, you uh. don't catch anything if you make a lot of noise and move around a lot. Like that. And that's what he is and who he is. Wow. And I thought, oh, wow. we made the right choice here. Yeah, um, that's great. This guy's going to work out. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so – to follow up on that, um, I was reading uh, at some point here recently that uh, Ian Rankin uh, has never watched the television series uh, Rebus, and it was because he was afraid that it would change the way in which <laughs> the characters that he had already written were portrayed, uh-huh. and it would affect his writing. Um, you, I know you were very close um, for the when they were filming the, the series to go along with your books, um, and and I personally now reading your books. I, I hear Lou Diamond Phillips' voice every time I read Henry Standing Bear's dialogue. It's I will tell Lou you so, said that. He'll be very happy to hear I mean, that. I love it. It's, it's unbelievable. He nails that character. He um, does. He you, does. It. He's you, got an incredible voice. Do you feel like voice. it's affected? You know what? No, no, not really. Um, you know, because I had been writing the books, you know, for like about eight years, you know, before – you know, the television show ever came around. Like and and like I was saying before, like about that quote, you know, from Wallace Stegner about teaching and writing fiction, you know, that you know, the disclaimer at the beginning of every book is that, you know, you know, none of these characters are based off anybody alive or dead. I mean, you know, Lucian Connolly, you know, the the, the old sheriff that Walt goes and plays chess with on Tuesday mm. nights, that's my dad. Yeah. You know, and oh, really? I, I can go down Vic is my wife. Like and so I can go down the list of all the characters and tell you, you know, all of the people that they're based on. And as powerful, you know, as a medium as it is, you know, television and, and film, it's never going to be quite as powerful as, you know, your intimate friends and family and all that. I mean, right. you know, right. you, you kind of know actors and actresses, you know, by what they're doing on the screen, but you don't really know them, you know, for goodness sake. You know, they're a flickering image right. is what they are, whereas, you mm-hmm. know, the, your friends and your family and people you've worked with your whole life and that type of thing, you know, you know them. You know, you don't have to search you know, for, you know, what their response to certain things are going to be. Um, mm-hmm. For me, a lot of it, it's audible, a lot of it. You know, I mean, whenever I'm I'm teaching classes, I'm always telling students, you know, that you get to describe a character one time, but you're going to have that character speak all the way through the novel. And so the best right. thing to do is try and find, you know, a very strong differentiation and a defined voice for that character mm-hmm. more than anything else. Um, right. Because, you know, they're, they're going to talk all the way through that novel like that. And you want to be so defined in those voices that you don't have to remind the reader every time who it is that's speaking, you know, so that hopefully they'll be able to pick it up, you know, after a certain right. period of time that they know which right. character that is that's talking. And, you know, I right. never have to search for those voices. You know, I always know what my father would say in any given situation. I know what my wife Judy would say, you know, in any given situation <laughs> like that. And that just, you know, that's kind of hard to override, kind of hard for Hollywood to, to overcome that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I gotta say, and, and maybe you're just putting me at ease, uh, but I'll, I'll pretend that it's for the fellow fans. Um, the next to last stand, the t- it's a 16th Longmire novel. Am I right on that? 16. Mm-hmm. Yep, you are. Uh, and within the book, I've, I read passages, and obviously the title that made me 
worry that you were considering entering the series. <laughs> so tell me I'm way off base here. And, and I'll, I'll you are not alone in that. You are not alone in that at all. Like, uh, I, I think uh, it obviously comes stems from the title. I think that, that you know, next to last stand, and of course right, that's right. just me trying to be funny. Um, right. You know, in hopes that, like, you know, Walt would see this as a situation where it's not his going to be his last stand, maybe the next, but not not the the totally last stand. Like that. But uh, right. no, 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 absolutely not. I, I, you know, I, I love writing Walt Longmire. Like, I, I've enjoyed writing Walt Longmire for 16 years, and I hope to write him for another 16 years. Like, I, wow. I have a long arc for this character. You know, in all of these storylines that I've got, like you know, piled away in these file folders that are just waiting, you know, for the opportunity, you know, they're, they're like, it's like a horse race, you know, that, you know, when you're judging storylines, you know, for future novels, it's almost like being a, you know, a gambler at a, you know, at a, at a horse race, like, a, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at that story and you're thinking, yeah, that one might go the distance. He's got a bottom to him. I think he'll make it, like right. that, you know, and, and, and pretty soon you've got, you know, all of these storylines that are just chomping at the bit and they're the ones that want to win the race. They're the ones that yeah. want to go out, you know, and, uh, and be written, you know, and uh, I, I've awesome. got, you know, so many, I'm never going to get them all written, Bruce, before I, I pass yeah. away like that, you know, I, that's, I want, that's the way I want to go. I want to, I want to go, you know, and typing the end, you know, and then just fall over the keyboard. <laughs> you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Robert Parker, I think, you know, nailed it for us, like as far as that was concerned. But, uh, but yeah, yeah that's, yeah. that's, you know, for me, you know, a, a joy you know, to write the books. I, I haven't, you know, tired of them at all like that. And uh, I keep coming up with ideas, you know, for standalone books, but then I'll be, you know, like asleep and have a dream and Walt Longmire will come and knock on the door and say, yeah, that's that's one of my stories too. That when you go ahead and just you know, make that a Walt Longmire story, like so, I have yet to get around him yet, so we'll see what happens. Hey, that's excuse awesome. me for interrupting, cool. Craig. Would you like to take yeah. um, a call from a from uh, a fan? Sure, sure. Okay. Let's see. Hi, area code six zero three. You're live on the air. Who says? Hi, this is Helen Duprima. Thanks so much for taking my call. Craig, uh, it was an honor to meet you years ago on your stop in Milford, New Hampshire, and we'd sure love to see you back again. And uh, I really appreciate your your kindness and your encouragement for my own efforts, and um, your your writing is still so far above my level that it makes my teeth hurt. But um, uh, yes, uh, thank but you in for writing, all you've given in, in, us. in your own way, you're you're way ahead of me. Like that, so. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm working on my fifth novel now, so I, I guess cool. I'm not doing too badly. That's um, fantastic. Um, do, you have a, but, uh, do you have a question? Do you have a question do. for um, Craig? Okay. I was, I was, I was, although I think Craig's already uh, answered it. This has. I'm doling this book out slowly, um, not to come to the end, and it had sort of an elegiac <laughs> feel that scared me a little bit. But now I'm reassured <laughs> to know that uh, uh, Walt is going to be coming on strong for quite some time in the future. That's well, that's, that's, a, very that's a nice reassuring. way to describe it too, like that, because I think you know that yeah, if you don't, you know, if you don't genuinely have you know the characters in peril, um, and there isn't at least you know the the possibility. You know that that something could happen like that. Then you know you're, you're really not raising the stakes high enough. Uh, you know to utilize. You know as far as a murder mystery is concerned. So so I, I'm actually glad to hear that. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Like you know you were just a little bit worried. Like at you know, Walt's getting a little bit longer in the tooth. Like that. So it's going to be mm-hmm. something he's kind of thinking about. You know on a periodic basis. Like that. So I I can't deny like that that that, that those elements are there. 
<laughs> I told you people yeah. were worried. Thank you so yeah, much for your the, call. That's part of the tension. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you. calling in. Thank you. Okay, that's you're great. back. Go ahead, and I'll take so, off. <laughs> well, just a couple more, Craig. I, I don't want to keep you. I know you've, you've been had a busy schedule here. Um, you, you, uh, there is a, a thing to the people that are listening that aren't familiar called uh, Longmire Days. Can you uh, kind of give us a little bit of a background on that? Like it's, uh, it's basically an unnatural disaster that happens here in Buffalo, Wyoming, <laughs> is what it is. Um, when we first started doing it, uh, the, the, the Chamber of Commerce came over to me, like from Buffalo, uh, Angela Fox, like who was the head of the, the, the uh, chamber at that point in time, got in touch with me and said, hey, you know, we'd like to do like a Longmire Day is what we'd like to do. And I was like, oh, okay, like, what would you like me to do? And she said, well, just sit out in front of the Busy Bee Cafe and sign books underneath an umbrella. And I was like, okay, well, that's, that's a pretty low-impact event. I think I can probably <laughs> handle that. And so I did, like, and we were kind of surprised, like, at, that, like, about 100 people showed up, you know, just for me under a tent, which was, you know, kind of crazy because I live here, you know. So um, it, it was a little bit of a shocker to us. Like, And so um, the, the Office of Tourism uh, sent some camera people up, like at, uh, and they, you know, did like a little mini documentary, like at a good buddy of mine, Chuck Coon, like at, and uh, Mike, his buddy, like at, they, they came up and you know and did some filming, and you know when we got finished, like at, they looked at me and they said, well, do you think, you know, you, you think it's possible to get the actors from the TV show to come to Longmire Days, like at, and I said, well, I, I don't have any idea, like at, I said, you know, we could, I could ask, like at, I said, you know, right. which ones do you want, and they said all of them. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like um, I'll see what I can do. Like, and uh, and, and and amazingly enough, like at, um, that it kind of gives you an indication of just how gracious um, and how wonderful uh, you know the actors are that we have in our show. I mean, you know, even b- above and beyond the fact that they 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 included themselves, you know, in this tour that I did um, for Next to Last Stand, not only doing readings, you know, for the events, but also mm-hmm. an, uh, accompanying me, like at you know, in, virtually, like at in, in every single one of the events. Um, they all agreed, like at, and they all came, like wow. at, and so suddenly Longmire Days was, you know, being populated by over fifteen thousand people um, in wow. this little town of five thousand people in northern Wyoming. And you know, it was. Th- th- I remember the first, that next year was a, just an utter disaster. I mean, in a humorous sense, um, all the grocery stores and restaurants ran out of food. All the ATM machines and banks ran out of money. Um, you know, it, it was it was hilarious. Like it, it was like a natural disaster was what it was like. And you know, they're they're all like so extraordinarily approachable and gracious mm-hmm. and everything. And you know, we you know we 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 give you know the the proceeds like it go to uh, a number of different charities. And you know, so you know, I mean, it, it's a nominal charge like I had to go to the events. I think it's a dollar or five dollars, you know, according to the event or whatever. Like, right. and I remember there was one woman that 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 called me or not called me, but wrote me. And she was very angry like that because she didn't get into the one event with Robert Taylor that she wanted to get into because she wanted to get her book signed or a photo signed right. or something. And I remember writing her back and going, you do realize that if you just stand out in front of the Occidental Hotel Saloon and hold Robert's beer, he'll sign whatever <laughs> you want, okay? Like, it's, <laughs> it's a very low-key kind of event as far as that thing is, kind of thing is concerned. I mean, the actors aren't behind velvet ropes or anything like that. You know, they're very, very accessible and, uh, and just utterly, utterly charming. Just a wonderful group. That's of awesome. <laughs> And we've got right, our 10th last, anniversary. Last we had a virtual one this year 
um, which was a great success. Like that. And then uh, our 10th anniversary for Longmire Days is coming up next year um, towards the end of July, I think, again. And, boy, I think everybody's going to be there again next year, and it should be it should be big. And so I mark that on your calendar, folks. Like mark fun. It on your yeah, calendar. no, it sounds like fun. <laughs> so let me put you on the spot with your last question. Uh, it's, it's probably like kids. You're not supposed to have a favorite, but give me your favorite Longmire novel. Oh, well, you know, and you're right. That's like asking somebody their favorite child while all the kids are in the right. room. You know, you can't uh, yep. you can't do that. Well, it varies. It varies like at from uh from mood to mood, look at or, you know, uh interest to interest. I mean, you know, it it goes back a little bit to what you were saying like about trying to make each book different. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, whenever somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I'd like to start the Longmire series, which book should I start with? Um, you know, obviously the, the 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 simplest answer would be the cold dish to just start out with sure. the first book, um, because you right. do get indulgences as a writer that you can, you know, take part in like that. You know, with a with a, a debut novel that you can't in subsequent mm-hmm. novels like that without being repetitious. Um, but the, right. the first thing I always ask people is like, well, what do you, what do you like to read? Uh, I guess I sound a little bit like an independent bookseller, you know, which is kind of the one of the things I love about independent <laughs> bookstores is that you know right. it's not all books for all people. You know, they. They, you know, ask readers, you know, who do they like, you know, and what do you like to read? Do you like, do you like humor? Do you like history? Do you like character development? Mm-hmm. Um, do you like multiple narratives? Do you like singular narrative? I mean, all these kind of things that you can ask people and kind of like hone down, you know, which book it is that that they might like. And uh, you know, for me, it, it changes all the time like that. You know, I I do tend to loop back around, you know, with uh, some of my books. I mean, with this one. You know, an awful lot of this book, you know, takes place up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. Of course, the next book I'm writing almost exclusively takes place up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. And so I had to loop back around and read uh, As a Crow Flies, the eighth, uh, not the eighth book, uh, I believe the ninth book, I believe it is, in the series, Mm -hmm. because it takes place up on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation. And I, you know, I knew, okay, I've got to go back and, you know, reread that book, eighth book in the series. And uh, I had to go back and you know listen to that one again. I do have the added benefit though of having my good friend George Guidel, who does the audio books. And <laughs> yep. you know one of the occupational hazards of living in Wyoming is you got to drive everywhere. And so I just take those CDs, you know, of whichever book it is I need to go back over, and I just slip them in the CD player and have George read my book back to me. That's and uh, it's, it's kind of handy. He does a great job. He does. He does, he does a, does a job. marvelous yeah. job. Very good. Well, I, Pam, I think you're on. I have, I, I have a, a time, you I haven't. It's been such a fascinating <laughs> conversation. But Craig, I want I have two questions for you as a as a reader, um, because okay. obviously I'm not a writer. Um, what changes have you seen in Walt since book one to today's release? Oh, I think you know whenever we first meet Walt in the cold dish, um, you know Martha, his wife, has only been dead for a couple of years. Like and, and he's. He's he's angry. He, he's he's a he's a he's an you know an, an enraged soul. You know, no two ways about it. Like that, and uh, you know, for him, you know, he feels like he's made this you know contract, you know, with you know uh, the universe. Like that, that you know, that that everybody's going to play on a on a on an even playing field, you know, and it's all going to be decent. It's all going to be good, and everybody's going to get treated fairly. And for making that sacrifice, he has the most important thing in his life taken away from him. And, you know, I, I think in, when it first starts out, he's clinically depressed. He's in, you know, his soul is enraged, you know, and uh, he's very, very much off balance, like at when we first meet him. And, you know, through 
the job and through this like cadre of you know friends and family and uh, and close associates and, and people that he works with who will not let him go. They're not going to let him you know go into that dark night. They're going to hang on to him and you know and, and keep him alive. And 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 he he continues to grow in the humanity of the character. Look at and he he comes more and more back to life. Look at as uh, as these cases evolve, you know and. Uh, his life continues like he's able to 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 reinvigorate you know his soul you know to the extent to where you know he's he's a working human being once again i love that because if you don't see character growth you're reading the same book over and over again oh yeah I no have, absolutely i have so i have one yeah. other question for you and that is what's changed about you since the first longmire book to the current <laughs> release <laughs> oh my goodness what has changed about me I don't, you know, I, I think, you know, and, and, you know, Bruce can maybe respond to this too, like that, but, um, you know, one of the nice things is, is that, you know, to learn how to write, you have to write. And mm-hmm. I, I, I think when I first started out, I, I was not very, you know, secure, you know, in what I was doing. Like, I mean, one of the things I didn't mention was, is that, you know, when I wrote the first draft of The Cold Dish, it was over 650 pages long. It was like War and Peace in Absaroka County was what oh. it was like. like I, I put everything in that book because I thought, you know what, if I fool anybody into publishing this, they're never going to publish another one like it. And so I'm, I'm putting everything into this. Like it. And I, I think, you know, you're, you're very insecure in what it is that you're doing. Like it. And then mm-hmm. the only thing that can provide that kind of intellectual security, the only thing that can make you feel as though what you're doing is worthwhile and, you know, and uh, – and you know, and really, you know, worth doing like that is to just continue writing. Um, yep. That that was really wonderful. You know, when when uh, when when uh, when the reader had called in like it and said she was on her fifth book. That just that's that's right. just wonderful news. I mean, that you're yep. you're capable of like you know continuing on, and uh, you know, and it's the only way. It's the only way is to sit down, you know, and and putting those words on paper like that. And I think that uh, a more confident writer makes for a better writer. Um, certainly some of the mistakes that I made, you know, in my early books, you know, I, I, I don't make those same mistakes. I make different, you know, mistakes now, sure. like, but nonetheless, <laughs> you know, you, uh, you, you evolve, you evolve in what it is that you're right. doing. And, uh, and I think that also helps because that changes the voice, you know, of the books and the character and the mm-hmm. tone and the structure of the books, you know, as you move forward too. Yes, I have to. Well, I have to agree with you that character and place are exceptionally important as a reader of 400 books a year. Across genres, so so um, I read a lot of books, and I don't have a television, which is why I get to read. But um, and you know, m- much to my happiness, uh, Craig, <laughs> I, I cannot thank you enough for for taking your time to come to Authors on the Air and and with my friend Bruce Coffin, who himself is an award winning author. So, will you please tell everyone where is the best place to find information about you and Walt Longmire? Maybe your oh, website. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, the website that I've got is uh CraigAllenJohnson dot com. C R A I G A L L E N J O H N S O N dot com. Um it's usually got, you know, all the up to date information about, you know, the tours, the books and, and everything. Like and then uh, also there's a Facebook page, um, you know, Craig Johnson and it's got a blue check mark. I think it's official, I believe it is. Like and okay. then uh Instagram, like that, and all the other things, like that, you know, and it's uh, U Cross Pop 25, as in U Cross Population 25. Our wow. little town out here where our ranch is. Look at <laughs> it has been an honor and a pleasure having you back. Um, Bruce Coffin, 
I know I have I I've owned you, I owe you so many interviews, but you know we finally got one done this year. When is your new no, book coming out? When is your new book coming out? What you talking about me? Yeah. Oh well, we're still working on that. We're working on the fifth one. Uh, my, oh, my fourth okay. one is still. I'm in the in the process of zooming that up this year, so. Uh, I'm a little behind Craig, but uh, but he is. Uh, you've given me uh, some inspiration tonight, so I, I appreciate that, Craig. Yeah, Will you tell us your website? And... What a wonderful conversation! Like, I thank you so much, Bruce. Oh, thank you thank so you, much Mr. for Craig. being with us, Bruce. Give us your website. Uh, it's BruceRobertCoffin dot com. And, and you, you can are find me in all the on... usual places. So. Yeah, I you're am. active I am on very Facebook, active. so I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It has been just a joy to listen to you. I've been off the air for over a month now. Um, and so this was the perfect show for me to come back and listen to. Thank you so much, Craig Johnson and Bruce Coffin. Um, stay safe. Have a Thank wonderful you, holiday. If I don't speak to you again sooner and um, have a great day, everybody. Glad you joined me. See you later. Authors on the Air is copyrighted by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thank you, Mom and Dad. See ya. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver I kind of like the high five but if you want to hone in on those winning moves check out Chumba Casino at ChumbaCasino.com choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes there are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses so don't wait start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com no purchase necessary VTW void prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus